Hey, we're in week two of our series called Made for Mondays. And we started this series last week. We're going to finish it up next week. And this series is all about our jobs. And my guess is that for some of you, that representing Jesus in the workplace can be a difficult thing. Um, in, in a place where, for, for a lot of us, nobody seems to care about God or righteousness or the church. Um, it, it can just be a tough place to try to represent Jesus there. And so, so I want to answer a question today, and I think it's an important question. And the question is simply this. How do I live my faith where I make my living? How do I live my faith where I make my living? And here's why this is so important. Because do you realize that for those of you that are still in the workforce, you spend more waking hours at work than you do at home. And for those of you that are retired now, you realize this, that that when you were working, you spent more hours at work than you did anywhere else. And so if you can't live your faith there, then where? I mean, if you can't live your faith where you're going to spend the majority of your time, the, the, the most waking hours, if you can't live your faith in that, in that environment, then where are you going to be able to live your faith? Because as Christians, we're not called to just live our faith when it's convenient, right? We're, we're called to, to be Christians all the time. I'm not a Christian just when I'm preaching. I'm a Christian when I'm, when I'm umpiring. I'm a Christian when I'm refereeing. I'm a Christian when I'm, when I'm doing whatever else that I decide to do. I'm a Christian always. And the same is true for you. You're a Christian when you're, when you're at school teaching. Or you're a Christian when you're at a bank uh, making loans. You're, you're, at a, you're a Christian when you're doing whatever it is that you do. You're always a Christian. Not just when it's convenient. And so how do you, how do you live your faith in those places? And just so we're clear about this, I'm not saying you need to go, go to work and start preaching, okay? You don't need to go around from cubicle to cubicle and start preaching people and tell them if they don't repent, they're going to go to hell. Um, that's probably going to get you a trip to HR, um, probably going to get you fired, so please don't do that. I'm not asking you to put Bible tracts in the bathroom so people can get converted while they're on the throne. Don't, don't do that. But again, if you can't live your faith where you're making your living, are you really a follower of Jesus? I think that's an important question to ask, and I think it's a fair question. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week, and if you didn't get to hear the message uh, last week, we, do, we archived them online, so you can go back and, and listen later. But, but here's what we said last week that was kind of our takeaway that I really thought was important was that your work is worship. Your work is worship, and I get you might not think about work being the same as worship, um, but, but God does, and here's why. Because if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we, we read this last week. Genesis chapter 2 is the first time in the Bible that, that work is ever mentioned, and it's mentioned early in the Bible, right? This is before sin enters into the world. Here's what it says, verse 15. It says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, there's two really important words here. And the first word is work. And, and as we learned last week, the Hebrew word for work is, is avad. And it's also the same word that's translated as worship. And we think about those two things, work and worship, and we think that they are two really different things, but they're not. We think that, we think that you know, they're really big, uh, there's a really big difference. One of them happens on the weekend, one of them happens on the weekday, and there's this big wall in the middle of them, and, and they don't really ever uh, inter- intersect, but not in God's eyes. And beneath both of, both of those words, work and worship, is the root of the word, which simply means to serve. To serve. Because when you go to work, you're serving your company. You're serving the group that you work for. And when you worship God, in God's mind, the greatest act of worship that you can, that you can do is when you serve other people. And so when you, put it in, 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 when you read it like that, I think it's pretty obvious why these two words mean the same thing, work and worship. Now the next word in here that's important is care. And it literally means to protect. 
We, we use this when we talk about our children. It's the same thing. You know, we want to protect our kids. You tell your kids that, hey, you got to go and take a bath. And they say, well, why do I have to take a bath? And it's like, well, because you need to be healthy. You need to not stink, right? And when they get to junior high, you just forget all about that. But, but you still feed them and clothe them and house them. Why? Because you are caring for them. You are protecting your children. What God established in this verse, I think, is very clear. That at the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, there is a pattern for work. Where, where you partner with God through your work to create this world. I want to say that again because what I'm about to say is going to raise some eyebrows. So I, I want you to understand what I'm saying here. From the very beginning of time, God has established this pattern for work. Where we partner with God through our work to create this world. Because it's going to come, this might come as a surprise to some of you that God did not create this world. I'm going to let you take that for a moment to, to hear what I'm saying because some of you went, huh? Like, what, what did he say? God did not create this world. God created the heavens and the earth. The world that we live in, though, we made in partnership with him. Think about this. Art. We do that, right? Literature. Architecture. Culture. Language. Family. Science. Athletics. We created the world that we live in now. And God looks at it and He says, it's good. It's good. And, and here's the thing. He wants you to take your skill, uh, your, your labor at work, and to honor Him by creating a world that's worth living in. Simply put this way. Our job is not to make a living. Our job is to make life living to make life worth living for those around us. For those who share in the same garden that we share in, right? And if we're going to be effective at, at, at our mission as a church, what's our mission as a church? You heard Tim Isaacs just quote it. What's our mission as a church? Yeah, thank you. Very good. Leading people to love and follow Jesus. If we're going to be effective at that, then we're going to need for each and every one of us you to to be the pastor of your workplace you think well i'm not a pastor i don't preach again we don't need you to go preach to cubicles we don't need you to thump people on the head with bibles we simply need for you to care for the people who are in the same garden that you're in who who whose lives are intersecting with yours who's who's and and you use your occupation to make their life better than it is right now that's what we need you to do and so here's how this works. If you're a plumber, your job is to not make a living, but to make life worth living for the people that serve in, in the garden where you live. And listen, if you're a plumber, you're one of the few occupations that I know of that where everybody's glad to see you. Because right, when the plumber shows up to your house, there's, because there's a, there's, a, there's a bathroom issue, and you need that issue taken care of right away. Everybody's always thrilled to see the plumber. Not everybody's always thrilled to see the preacher, okay? So just, just think about that. But your, your job is to use your occupation to make somebody's life better right now. If you're a real estate agent, you, your job is not to make a life, uh, to make a living, but to make life worth living. And so you don't sell houses. You connect people with their homes. If, if you're a teacher, you, you don't make a living. You make a difference by raising boys and girls to be godly men and women that contribute to God, uh, that contribute with God to make a world worth living in. And you know as well as I do that our society is desperate i'm telling you desperate for people to enter into the workplace to add value and add values to the people who are far from god and listen this is not my idea i didn't come up with this on my own in fact it's not even a new idea because if you go back to the new testament you go back to to the writings of paul in the book of colossians you'll read these words in chapter three of colossians paul writes whatever you do 
Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Paul says, do it for the glory of God. And that includes home life and work life. And for the next four verses that follow this, Paul is going to identify what it looks like in the home place. And he's going to address four people in the home. He says, wives, wives, if you love Jesus, you should honor your husbands. He says, husbands, if you honor Jesus, you should love your wife. Children, if you are under the authority of Jesus, then you need to obey your parents. And fathers, if, if Jesus is your leader, then you need to lead your children well. And then Paul takes it and he turns it back to the workplace. And, and what he writes next, it's going to sound a little bit weird or a little foreign because of the way that he articulates it. But listen, you are living this principle if you have a job. Here's what Paul writes in verse 22. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And I get immediately when, when we read this verse, this is one of these verses that, that uh, people will use to say that, hey, the Bible backs slavery. This is why you shouldn't believe in Christianity because the Bible pushes slavery. That's not what this verse is saying at all. You have to understand this, that in Paul's day, 60% of the Roman population, of the occupants of Rome, were slaves. 60%, the majority of people that lived in Rome were slaves. And a fraction, a fraction of 1% of the population were Christian. So there was no way that Paul was going to destroy slavery by, by just having a face-to-face -face confrontation. But what he writes here eventually does eradicate this awful institution of slavery. What he writes here, here's, here's what he said. He said, if you're, gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're a slave, then you're going to need to serve your master, whether they're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter. He says, you need to serve your master as if your master is Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He said, you serve whether, whether they believe in God or not, whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, you serve them as if they were Jesus. And guess what happened when they did that? They began to, to gain influence with, with, their, with their people. And the owners would eventually give slaves more latitude and freedom until eventually it didn't make sense for them to be in bondage at all because they were already living as free men, living in the household of the master, serving him well. What Paul writes here eventually eradicated slavery in the Roman Christian world. And I just want to suggest that if you do that at work, what a difference that will make for you in your workplace. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a business owner, I'm not a manager. So what do I know, right? What do I know? Really nothing. So I talk to people who do. I talk to people who are... Uh, CEOs and managers and, and business owners and I read articles and studies about them and here's what I found that all of them with the ones that I talked to and the ones that I read about they were all 100% in alignment with this uh, on this particular topic they said this they said that most of their employees if you're and if you're a boss this will make sense to you most of the their employees expect the boss to work for them not them work for the boss. That kind of seems counterintuitive, but, but he said this is what most actually expect. You know, and here's how they proved it. He said, you go to your boss and what do you say? You say, I need a raise, or I need some time off, or I need a promotion. You want the boss to work for you. But then they said, but you know who the boss actually promotes? People who work for the company. And when you start working for the good of the company to serve the people that that company is designed to serve, not only will you find that you'll get a raise, that you'll get the promotion, that you'll get that time off, but you will find that you have influence with your boss when he or she watches you serve them as if you're serving Jesus himself. 
That's what Paul's getting at in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Paul says, Paul says just forget about who you're actually working for. Treat them like you're working for Jesus. And if you can do that, Look, I know your boss may not be a Christ follower. They might, might not even be a godly man or woman, but it doesn't matter. The principle that Paul laid out for, for servants and masters is the same for employees and employers today. If you will treat your boss in the same way that, they, that you would serve Jesus, it's going to make a huge difference. Your work is worship. That's what we said last week, right? Your work is worship, but only when Jesus is your boss. And when you make Jesus your boss, something else happens that that you might not expect. Because your boss determines your salary, but Jesus determines your retirement plan. And as the old joke is, that that retirement plan, it's out of this world, right? That's what Paul promises in verse 24 of chapter 3. He says, since you know that you were receiving an inheritance from the Lord, you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord. It's what we talked about in our last series in, in the when we talked about the, the good place, the heaven, and all the realities of heaven, we've been promised an inheritance, and it's, it's our life in heaven with Him. It's unbelievable. He says, you know that you're receiving an inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so the first thing that I want to say really is quite simply that your work is worship, but only if Jesus is your boss. And here's the second thing that I, I want you to know today is that your work is ministry when people are your priority. Your work becomes ministry when people become your priority. Church, if we, if, listen to me on this. If we want to reach this community for Christ, if we want to have influence in, in this community and, and, and see more people come to know Jesus, see people who are far from God come to Jesus, if we want to do that, it's not going to be because we have more programs, even though we have more, even though we have more programs planned. It's not going to be because we have small groups, although I think small groups are great. If we're going to have influence in this community, it's going to be because we need every single one of you to go into your workplace and say, hey, I'm going to be a pastor in my place of employment. I'm going to do whatever it takes to represent Jesus well where I work. And if we would all do that, then I'm telling you, we can make Hardin County like, we can make it the, the greatest place in the United States to live. And you can have the influence to do that if you'll have the courage to make your work a ministry by making people your priority. Now, how's that going to work? If I were sitting where you're sitting, I'd be looking up at me right now going, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Because, I mean, I work at a church, right? It's easy to represent Jesus where I work, right? So again, I read some articles and studies and I talked to some different people and the people that I talked to, I asked, I asked them lots of questions, but I asked them all the, this one same question. I asked them, what's the one thing that you do at your workplace that that's, uh, that's, can be replicated that makes Jesus known in your work? What's the one thing that you do to make Jesus known in your workplace that, that other people can replicate? Because again, your job is to not make a living. Your job is to make life worth living for those around you. And so here's what I want to do in the few minutes that we have left. I want to reduce all of the answers that I got. There were a lot of them. And I want to reduce all of the answers I got to, to really um, four big ideas. And inside of those four big ideas, I want to give you just a couple of very specific illustrations of how you can, you can do that wherever it is that you work. And here's what I want you to do. At the end of the message, I, here's what I want you I want you to choose one. There's going to be, I think, 10, 11 of these ideas but, but I want you to just choose one. Not, not all 11. Some of you are overachievers and you're going to try and take eight or nine. Don't do that. Just take one. 
And I want you to use that one thing at work this week to make Jesus known. And so here's the first idea, the first thing that I think every Christian should do at their work. And it's to model integrity. To model integrity because if you don't have integrity, you don't have influence. And one of the ways that you can model integrity is super, super, super simple. And pick up trash. Pick up trash. Uh, Manny works in IT at the University of Phoenix. And Manny goes to a church where they, where they say one of their core values is to pick up trash. Why is that a core value for them? They say, well, well we think about the church as it's ours. Like Everybody has a, has a stake in the church. It's, it's all a part of ours. And so we want to treat our church like we would treat our home. And so we pick up trash because we want to maintain the physical environment well here. And so they pick up trash and they say it doesn't matter where you're at in the org chart. It doesn't matter if you're on staff, if you're a volunteer. A core value of, of these people is that they pick up trash. And so Manny, one day when he was walking into his office building, not knowing who was behind him, saw a piece of trash on the ground. He bent down, he picked it up, and he threw it in the trash can. He got to the door, he opened up the door, and realized that there was somebody walking behind him. He let the man go in. It happened to be the president of the University of Phoenix. The president walked through the door and he said, Hey, what's, what's your name? He said, Well, my name's Manny. I work in IT. And he said, Well, I saw you pick up that trash. Why did you do that? And Manny said, Well, where I go to church, it's... It's one of our core values. It's our church, and we want to treat our church like it's, like it's our home. And so we pick up trash. And, and I figured if I could do that at church, I can do that at work. And hey, by the way, you should, come, you should come check out our church sometime. And he gave him the name and address of the church. And by 9 o'clock that morning, the president had sent out an email to the entire university staff telling the story of Manny. It was simple. But we can do it too. Here's another thing you can do. Be salt and light. Jesus called us to represent Him like a city on a hill, like salt of the earth. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. Jeremy is an insurance adjuster that I know whose primary clients are people who uh, have had their homes in, destroyed by something like a fire or a flood. Everybody that Jeremy serves, their life is in chaos. But when I talked to Jeremy, he said, My job is to not re rebuild a, a house. My job is to bring peace to a home. And that's what happens when you don't work for a living but you work to make life worth living for those around you, for the people that you serve. And he said something that I thought was absolutely brilliant. He said this, he said, when you understand your alignment, you will understand your assignment. If you understand your alignment, you will understand your assignment. He said, once, once you know who your real boss is, once you realize that your real boss is Jesus, it makes it a whole lot easier to serve the people in your community. Here's another thing you can do. You can just honor all people. Brad is a buddy of mine who works uh, as a police officer. And one of the questions that he gets often is, is that I bet you meet a lot of bad people. And I love Brad's response to, to that question. He says, no, not really. I meet a lot of people who have made some bad decisions, but I don't really meet bad people. And I thought, what a brilliant way to treat people. Even when he's arresting someone, he treats them with the dignity that their humanity demands. I love that. Here's a second idea. Start a conversation. Start a conversation. Not be weird, okay? Don't be weird about it. Again, not saying like, you know, go around the, uh, to preach to people in their cubicles and, and pass out Bible tracts in the bathroom. Don't, don't do that. Don't thump anybody on the head with a Bible or don't smack anybody in, in the face and say, you know, in the name of Jesus, that doesn't get you by with that. Okay? Could be fun, but again, probably going to HR for that. Don't be weird. But you can just start a conversation that, that's natural. 
Simply tell a story about your own life. Keith is a high-performing salesperson that I know, and he's become a lead trainer for his company. And he's worked really hard to have influence in his organization. So here's how he influences, uh, he uses that influence when he's training new people. He says, I want them to get to know each other. And so I always make a time in our training session for people just to tell their story. And through that, I get to tell my story. He models what it looks like to brag about Jesus in a very natural way. Look, if this church has made a difference in your life, you can talk about that at work. If Jesus has made a difference in your marriage, you can talk about that at work. Another idea that I read about that I, that I really liked was called the captive audience approach. Now, some of you work in areas where you have a captive audience for, for three, four hours maybe. So why not have a conversation that's a little bit more important, that's a little more meaningful than just the weather or sports? The article had three questions that you can ask that will just about guarantee that, that it will open up the conversation to, to talk about Jesus in some way. You want to know what those three questions are? Well, here's the first one. What's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Just ask somebody, what's the most courageous thing you've ever do, done? Number two, if you could go back and change something in your life, what would it be and why? And number three, and this one has Jesus written all over it, what's the most extravagant gift you've ever been given? There's no way in that conversation that there's not some way to make Jesus known by bragging about what Jesus has done or what, or what this church has meant to you. Third idea, care for people. You are the pastor where you are employed. And if you were just, you know, I don't know, to say, here's one idea, pray for people. I mean, right, this is mind, earth-shattering, mind-blowing stuff, right? right? Just pray for people. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Gene was a man that I'd known for many years, and Gene would often have people come frequently to him with, with issues in their life, home life issues, their marriage was in trouble, kids, are, are, they're not sure what to do with them, all those kind of things. And Gene would say, hey, I, let me pray for you. And if it's okay, I'd like to pray for you right here, right now in the middle of my office. And the reason Gene would do that is because he'd say, how many, how many times do we say we're going to pray for somebody and then they just walk off and we forget about it or we don't ever actually pray for them? I think there are a lot of time, there are like millions of prayer requests where we've committed to praying for something and then we've never actually prayed for it. And so Gene would, would pray for these people right in the middle of the office if they were open to it. And even if they weren't open to it, as soon as they left his office, he would pray for them. And then in a couple of weeks, he'd circle back around to them just to find out how, how they were doing. Ryan works in foster care. And when his employees come to him, he will often just gift them a book that, that helps them deal with the struggles that they're having. He, he's given away over 30 copies of The Purpose Driven Life. It, it's, a, it's a simple idea that's always acceptable. Here's another idea. Just simply write a note. Simply write a note. Jeff works for a large corporation and he makes a point to write five thank you slash encouragement notes every week. He says he just observes the people that he works with and works and that work for him and he just sees stuff that they do. Stuff that might even seem trivial to, to other people like picking up a piece of trash or going to the copier and getting something for, for somebody else. And he says he just, when he sees that kind of stuff, he just makes a mental note or he writes it down to write them a note to tell them that he saw what they did Thank them for what they did and encourage them to keep doing what they're doing. Just write a note. Here's the last category. Support each other. You all work in a variety of places. And if you can align together at work and just let other Christians know who you are and that you stand for the same principles that they do, 
then you'll have more power and more courage to take and make a stand when you need to. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you let other people know that you're, a, that you're committed to Christ? Well, this might sound silly, but I don't, I don't think it is. Glendale Christian Church gear. GCC gear, right? Over the years, we've given away water bottles with our logos on it, shirts, bumper stickers. And here's the thing about bumper stickers, though. You've got to be careful with bumper stickers. If you're going to put one of those on your car, you have to drive reasonably. All right? No, no California waves to people. You, you, can't, you can't put one of those, uh, follow me to Sunday school at Glendale Christian Church as you're passing somebody, telling them that they're number one. You can't do that. All right? Can't do that. But, but really, church gear. One young lady that I talked to, she said, I'm the only one that I know of that is a Christian at my work. And it's just tough because I feel alone. When you identify yourself as a Christian, you can make a greater influence and empower other Christians around you to be bolder in their faith. Here's another idea. Start a Bible study. I read about Carl. He's the VP of a medical sales device company. And he went on a mission trip with his daughter to Africa, a medical mission trip. And when he came back, he told everybody about it. And he could because it was a medical mission trip and he was working in a medical sales company. And he started talking to other people about the, all the experiences that he had. And as he did, these other Christians started coming out of the woodwork. And as a result, they started a Bible study with the leaders of that company. That's influence. Last idea. We've got to speak up. I want to finish with this story. It's a story of a young man I know named Thomas. I've known Thomas for a couple of years now, and I, his story is one of the reasons that I wanted to preach this series. I met Thomas through umpiring, and, and he told me that he hadn't been a Christian very long when, when we first met. Thomas lives in Indiana, and he said that when, when he first started attending church, really the main reason that he was going, that he started going, was because his marriage needed some work. And luckily, the church that he and his wife worship in, it's helped their marriage. His wife says he's a way better husband now than, than he used to be. But when Thomas and I were talking recently, and, and we were talking about how far he'd come and just the, 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 how much better life was for him and all that kind of stuff, he, he said something, and he was so positive about it. Like He, he did not mean this to, to, to uh, any negative detriment or anything like that. He was very positive about it, but when he said it and I heard it, it frustrated me. Thomas said, I, I'm so excited about church. I talk about it all the time. And I talk about it at work. And after I started talking about it, all of these other Christians started coming out of the woodwork and they telling me that they go to church too. And then they began to align and, and take good care of Thomas. And Thomas was really excited about that. And, and I, I probably should have been too, but I was really frustrated by it. And here's why. Because you have a young guy who's trying to figure things out. He's, he's trying to get his life right in, with Christ. He's trying to get his marriage straightened out. He's trying to figure out where he fits in in church. He's trying to figure all of that stuff out. And he's, he's talking about it at work. And not one person, he didn't recognize one single person in the place that he worked as Christian that he could go to. You're kidding me, right? There wasn't one person he could go to. They didn't, they didn't start telling him about their faith until he told them about his. Come on, we got to stand up. And we got to speak up. we got to let ourselves be known so that other believers around you can surround you as you make your stand for Christ. Listen, if we're going to reach this community for Christ, it's not going to be by having the best programs or by having the best sermons. Thank goodness for that. 
It's not going to be by having just the best whatever. It will only be when we decide that we're going to lead people to love and follow Jesus. And when we decide that that means that God has ordained you to be a pastor in your workplace. And so instead of working for a living, we'll work to make life worth living for those around us. So would you do one thing this week? Would you take one of the things that we just talked about? Would you take one of those things and lift your faith where you make your life? Let me pray for us.